Hey there, and welcome to Hormonally Speaking. I'm your host, Christine Garvin, a functional health coach. Each week, I speak with an incredible guest expert on all things women's hormones. We're here to empower you to take back control of your body, health, and well-being, and to learn about the latest in research and solutions when it comes to getting your hormones happy. No part of this podcast should be construed as medical advice, and we always recommend working with a professional practitioner to figure out what's best for your body. Now let's dive in with today's guest. Hey, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Hormonally Speaking. I am chatting with myself today and sharing with you about my recent, pretty recent lab results from comprehensive blood labs that I did in March. And one of the reasons I wanted to do this and share this with you is A, to be transparent about my own health journey, because I know that sometimes we can look up to functional practitioners and think, hey, everything's like so fantastic with them. They got this down. And the reality is that we deal with health stuff just as much as anyone else. And we're probably in this field because we have dealt with pretty intense health issues. And, you know, no matter what in life, you have to keep um, paying attention to your health and keep tweaking things um, and making things better and really honing in to make things better, particularly as we age. And, you know, two, I think that there are so many great labs that you can get done with your regular doctor you know, that's covered by insurance, you get that blood draw every year that can tell you so much more than maybe what you're getting from your doctor, right? They probably, in most cases, they take your labs, you get a note that everything looks great. Or maybe they say, hey, this one thing is elevated, but I'm not too concerned right now. Let's just track it, you know, those kinds of things. Of course, in some situations, it's going to be you know, more um, obvious that something is going on and you will have to um, get, you know, further investigate, maybe work with other doctors. But for the most part, you know, in my practice, my clients come to me and they're like, yeah, my doctor said everything is fine. And then we look a little deeper from the nutritional perspective and we see that that's not the case, right? And the thing about those labs that are so inexpensive in comparison to some of the other labs that we use in the functional world is that you're getting to see things early before they become a bigger issue, right? Or maybe you do already have symptoms going on and you can kind of see this on your test. If you're um, if you're aware of and you're kind of understanding what you're looking for. So, you know, um, I, I obviously can't go super in depth with you on every single marker here today, but I wanted to let you know, first off, which markers are really, really important to get tested and to sort of understand what you're, you're looking at with those tests. And some of them are just basic markers, again, that your doctor is probably going to order for you without you asking. And then there's some other ones that they're not going to, but that are still really cheap and easy for them to order. That's going to give you a more broad picture. So I'm going to mention some of those. Basically, we're going to go through my labs and I'm going to mention the ones that can be very useful in things like, in particular, blood sugar, blood sugar regulation, uh, thyroid health, um, with knowing your true iron levels and, and all of these things so that you have a better idea. And also you can kind of take a look at your own labs and in case your doctor missed something or you just have 
more questions for your doctor, you kind of know what to go in with, right? So hopefully this is going to help you today to do that. So let's go ahead and dive in. Um, if you are listening to this, obviously you can't see the labs that I'm going to share. If you're watching this on YouTube, of course you can. Um, I recommend if you are listening to this and you want to see the labs to go to YouTube and watch it and also follow me on YouTube because I'm doing lots of fun stuff over there that you're not always getting access to here at the podcast, right? So I'm doing a free EFT session every week to help support your hormones. So go subscribe on YouTube so that you make sure that you get to see those every week. It's just another really important layer to helping your hormone and overall health. And I really target different areas that are going to impact your hormones. For example, this week I did one on sleep. So go check that out. Anyways, if you're just listening to this, you're also, I'm going to do my best to kind of um, explain everything really well, even though you're not looking at it. So but just to let you know right now, I am doing the sharing my labs uh, button here on Zoom. So let's start off with sort of what's really important in terms of blood sugar regulation, because to me, that underlies everything. It's so important for not only hormone health, but literally every disease out there has some dysregulated blood sugar. And when I say blood sugar dysregulation, sometimes people are like, what does that mean? It really means that either your blood sugar more commonly is too high or in some situations, especially if you're a little bit younger, like I dealt with this when I was younger, it's too low. And what happens when it's too low and you're having what we call hypoglycemic symptoms eventually it's going to go high, right? So that's kind of what can happen first. And then eventually it's going to go high and stay that way. Um, so you're kind of tackling it the same way, whether you have high blood, uh, blood, blood glucose, excuse me, or low blood glucose, right? So glucose is a marker and let me find it on here. It's right here for me. Um, it is a marker that's going to be on every regular lab that you take part of the what's called the Comprehensive Metabolic Panel, or CMT, CMP. So that's something that you're going to see, you know, no matter what. Here's part of the problem. It used to be that doctors would tell you, oh, you need to be fasting to take this test. I have found out recently from clients that doctors aren't doing that anymore. They're not saying anything about fasting. So half my clients come to me with you know, results where they took the blood draw at 2 p.m. And that's not going to tell us anything really about how your glucose is doing. We need to see it at fasting levels. So it's best to do first thing in the morning, literally get up, drink some water. I recommend not drinking coffee, although they say you can. I still think it can impact um, blood sugar. So just drink your water. Make sure you get a good amount of water so that your veins are nice and plump, ready to give that blood. Um, and just go do it first thing. And then you can eat right afterwards. You can drink your coffee and all those things. So you can see my uh, glucose here is 83. Um, that was, you know, the current result. And that's also my previous result. And that is a good place to be, right? So in general, I like to see uh, glucose, around that 80 to 85 region is sort of optimal. You can even go some, some functional practitioners, you know, like to see it even in the seventies, like 75 to 80. Um, some go up to 90. 
So anywhere from that 75 to 90 range is pretty good. I like that even more, you know, tinier range of 80 to 85. Um, But again, once you start getting above 90 fasting, this is when we're already starting to see some blood sugar um, dysregulation. And if you can look at the reference interval here is 70 to 99. So you can see sort of the, the lab range goes much higher in what's considered normal than what we're looking at from a functional perspective. But blood glucose is just telling you what your, you know, blood sugar is at that time in history. So basically that morning when you wake up where your blood sugar is, yes, it's a good indication of more than likely you're having that sort of blood sugar daily, but it's not really the full picture. And that's why we really want to look at HbA1c. And so what I found with HbA1c is that um, it's something that is more commonly done by doctors now than it used to be. It's pretty easy to ask your doctor to add that on if they're not already doing it. Um, I find certainly with my clients that are a little bit older, the doctors are much more you know, open to adding that pretty easily. Um, it's again, a cheap marker. So it should, and it should be covered by insurance. So what HbA1c is, is looking at your blood sugar over a three month period, right? So this is going to give us a much better picture of what your blood sugar looks like sort of up over time, you know, because even with the fasting blood glucose that we do in the morning, that could be okay. But then what is it looking like after you eat? And, you know, in the afternoon and all of these things. And so your HbA1c is kind of a um, combination of all of that. And if you're watching this, you can see my HbA1c, it was 5.1 this time. Last time it's 5.3. And they have this estimated average glucose down here, which is pretty cool, right? So that's saying on average, my blood glucose would be around 100, right? So that's including uh, fasting, that's including eating, all of that. So just in general, in my you know daily life, the average is out to 100. You can see last time it was 100, uh, 105. So 5.1 is a, I'm really happy with that. That's certainly a really good place to be. I mean, if you're looking at a really tight functional range, you're kind of looking from um, maybe 4.7 to 5.3, but even, you know, uh, 5.4 is fine too, but then you're starting to just be a little bit more concerned. Um, You can see the reference interval here is 4.8 to 5.6. So at 5.7 is when they start to consider uh, prediabetes. So 5, 5.1, 5.2, 4.9, 4.8, 4.7, those are all good places to be with your HbA1c. Something else that I include um, in the panel that I run, let's see if I can find it on here, um, is insulin. So this is another... uh, important marker. As you can see, if you're watching this, I actually don't have it for this time, unfortunately, because this is a very big panel and I included hormones on it. And so I think it was eight, eight vials of blood they had to take. And sadly, ever since my surgeries, my veins don't like to give blood. Um, I can't even give, uh, get any blood drawn from my arms anymore, from my, um, you know, usually they do it kind of near the elbow. 
Um, I have to get it from the hand because my veins, I think just, they were like, we're done after my surgeries and being in the hospital and all the times I was poked and prodded, they were like, "Mm -mm, we're good. We're set for life. So I have to get it drawn from my veins. I didn't have enough blood. Um, They had to, you know, just eke it out to get enough and everything else was covered except for my insulin, sadly. So you can see, I don't have my current result. They aren't showing the previous result, but my previous result um, I believe was around 4.5 or 5, which is great for insulin. So this is a really important thing too when we're talking about blood sugar dysregulation. Sometimes I see it in clients all the time. The blood glucose is looking great and then their insulin is high or even super high. And so we can kind of see some more issues coming up with that insulin marker before it even hits the blood glucose. That's not it across the board, but that I've seen it enough now that it's like, oh, that insulin marker is super important to actually see because, you know, your body produces insulin to get that sugar out of your blood, that glucose out of your blood and into the cells. And so it's going to be working hard to do that. And what ends up happening is it's maintaining a decent glucose level for a long time, even though it's producing more and more insulin, right? At some point, your cells are going to be like, we're full of that glucose. So sorry, insulin, we're not accepting any more glucose. And this is when you start to see insulin resistance happening, Basically, the cells are resistant to having insulin get that, you know, glucose into your cells. So this is a good marker to see early on, you know, okay, my blood glucose looks good, but if my insulin's high, that's showing some early signs of insulin resistance, you know, on the horizon. And that's a good opportunity to really start to focus on your diet. Here it is right now, the biggest, most important part of Insulin resistance, blood sugar dysregulation, diabetes, all of these things are, you know, is your diet. You've got to focus on getting plenty of protein, plenty of good fat, and not overdoing it with the carbs, really focusing on vegetables and fruits as your main carbohydrate intake, you know, and then depending, obviously different people's bodies can handle different things, but, um, you know, even things like rice and everything can be hugely impactful when you are already experiencing blood sugar issues. So really go to getting that hundred grams of protein a day minimum and getting plenty of good fat and keeping that, you know, um, those carbs down. And by saying that, I'm not saying you have to go low carb, but people don't often think about vegetables and fruit are carbs, right? So if you are um, even just starting to have a little bit of insulin resistance showing up, cut back on, you know, the amount of grains that you're eating, obviously the amount of like packaged foods that you're eating, um, sugars, all of those things, and just see what happens. And then, you know, sometimes um, you can bring in more fruit or less fruit, depending on what shows up. But that's the perfect place to start. It's going to have the most impact. I've seen dietary changes like that bring HbA1Cs down really quickly. I've seen them bring down insulin really quickly. So comes back to that diet first and foremost again and again. So that, as I mentioned, is a super important thing to look at when you get your your labs done. So let's talk about thyroid. Um, Unfortunately, the thyroid markers are all over the place on this test, but we're going to start off with TSH. 
And I'm going to talk for a little while about the thyroid here, because if you're watching this, you can see that my thyroid is, uh, excuse me, my TSH is 3.57, which is definitely in the reference uh, range of labs, you know? So if a regular doctor saw this, they'd be like, your thyroid's fine. Two considerations. So TSH is not actually a thyroid hormone. TSH is thyroid stimulating hormone, right? So that means it's produced by your pituitary gland in your brain and it talks to your thyroid to tell the thyroid to make thyroid hormone, right? So this is one of the issues with doctors only testing TSH to see how your thyroid is doing. That gives us very little information, right? It's basically just telling us, okay, how much is your pituitary talking to your thyroid and, you know, if that is quote unquote, okay, then your thyroid is presumed okay. And the idea behind that, I understand why many doctors kind of go along with that because the pituitary gland and the hypothalamus and the brain have a feedback system with your thyroid, right? In fact, they have a feedback system with your entire endocrine system. And I've talked a lot about this on the um, podcast. I've talked about it with guests on the podcast. We're talking our adrenals, we're talking our thyroid, and we're talking, you know, if you are a female bodied person, ovaries, your, the hypothalamus and pituitary in the brain are always communicating with these organs. And then there is a feedback loop that basically lets the hypothalamus and pituitary know everything's good to go. So you can, you know, uh, decrease uh, a hormone or you can increase a hormone. So with TSH, we actually like to see it lower, right? Because basically there's a feedback loop happening from the thyroid hormone being in the body, working in the cells, tell, essentially telling the brain, oh, we're good on the amount of thyroid hormone that we got going on. So we don't have to produce as much TSH. Hope that makes sense. So that's when your TSH is going to lower. That's telling us your thyroid's working better. The thyroid hormone is getting into your tissues. The more your TSH goes up, that means that basically there is a situation where your body's like, we're not, we don't have enough hormone, thyroid hormone working in the cells. And so we're telling the brain, like, everything's not okay, SOS. And so the brain's like, oh, let's produce more TSH, basically starting to, you know, yell a little bit louder, maybe eventually scream to the thyroid, produce more thyroid hormone. It's a pretty amazing process, but this is how we sort of know, we gauge a temperature of what's going on with the thyroid, right? And so that's what most doctors are basing it on. It's like, well, of course, if your TSH is high, that means you're not getting enough thyroid hormone in your cells. If it's lower, you're fine. Everything's working within this feedback loop. But you can have decent TSH and still have an underactive thyroid, okay? And this is the functional approach to it. So first of all, going back to my 3.57, that's actually quite high in the functional world, right? You really want your TSH to be between one and two. So this is showing that, you know, my thyroid, excuse me, my pituitary is having to scream a bit at my thyroid because there's not enough of that thyroid hormone getting into my cells. So that's part of the picture. And you can see if you um, are watching that my previous result was 1.7, which is nicely in functional range. So that definitely increased. What happened? Well, I definitely had some stressful times this winter. 
Um, and there was just a lot of um, ups and downs in terms of things happening in my life causing a bit more, more stress, right? And I have always had uh, what they call subclinical hypothyroidism. You know, a functional practitioner wouldn't call it that, but a regular doctor might call it that. And post surgeries, I've struggled more with my thyroid. And I think when any kind of traumatic thing happens, whether that's a physical trauma, like what I went through and also an emotional trauma, it impacts what, what area of our body was already sensitive. So we're seeing this with people that had COVID that, especially with long COVID, the symptoms that they're having are usually the area that already had a sensitivity One they may have known that they had or may not have known that they had. Right. So for me, my thyroid has been at least since my twenties, um, having some underactive issues and post-surgery. And then I also had COVID last year too. Um, you know, it makes perfect sense that it is just, it's sensitive. And if I go through a lot of stress, it's going to be impacted. So what do we care about beyond TSH? Because as I mentioned, that is only a very small part of the picture. Okay. So here's my free T4. And so what T4 is, is actually the thyroid hormone, right? So this is what your thyroid starts producing based on what the pituitary is telling the thyroid to do. Um, and when they say free, that means the bioavailable thyroid hormone. Um, and essentially we have sort of total hormones, right? And so that includes a free bioavailable amount and then a bound amount, and the bound amount can't be used at any given time, right? And so we really care more essentially about the free and bioavailable. That's what the body can use at any given time. So that's why a lot of times with hormones on blood labs, it's not as useful because it's showing the total amount of hormones and that can look great, but then the available, bioavailable free ones can be low. So that's why, you know, it's best, honestly, if you have the full picture, but I always say that you definitely want the free hormones um, to really know what's going on. So my free T4 is 1.3 and last time it was 1.34 and it is well within both reference range and then also within functional range. So I've never had an issue with my T4, right? So this is something that's really important to note because what's up? I've had the subclinical hypothyroidism, but the, what my thyroid is producing that T4, it's majority of what the thyroid produces. It also produces a small amount of T3. Um, my T4 is always great. So where does the issue come in? My free T3. And so free T3 or T3 is the, um, active thyroid hormone. Okay. So T4, which is the majority of what your thyroid produces is actually inactive. I know I don't, some things I don't understand why the body decided or nature decided to do it that way, but it is what it is. So that's the inactive thyroid hormone and majority of it has to be converted to T3, our active thyroid hormone. And this is where things get really tricky sometimes because, you know, say you go to a regular doctor and they test not only your TSH, but they will test your free T4 um, or total T4. And if that looks great, like if they were looking at mine, they would have been like, everything's all good. 
because this idea that everybody just naturally easily converts T4 to T3. That's not true in my case. I have known for a long time that my free T3 um, tends to be low, even when my free T4 is fine. So I have a conversion issues, right? So one of the most important things in that um, scenario is to make sure that you get selenium because that helps. It's a cofactor that helps in the conversion. Other important things for the thyroid include iodine, so, uh, excuse me, uh, magnesium, zinc, um, tyrosine. So, you know, I, I take all those. It's very uh, much a part of my, my program. Um, and here we showed up with my free T3 being 2.3. You can see my previous result was 2.6, and that's probably the highest I've ever seen it is 2.6. And functionally, you really want it above 3.3, 3.4, right? So some people feel better towards that higher end of four and above. So at 2.3, that's pretty darn low, right? That's not a good place and makes sense to me in terms of some of the major issues that I've noticed more this year. Um, definitely more brain fog, uh, more issues with dry skin, um, you know, just uh, some other things that are common with low thyroid function, um, you know, hair thinning, um, some cold hands and feet. I don't have it super bad, but um, these are things, particularly for me, the brain function is so, so important. And when your brain's not able to work at the place that you want it to, it can be frustrating. And I just want to note that a lot of women start to have thyroid issues when they hit perimenopause. So without a doubt, you know, I have the surgeries that went wrong and then the COVID and then the predisposition towards thyroid issues, but also I'm 44, right? And so all of this perfect storm and actually something I just found out recently too, is I do have one of the genetic mutations that impacts this conversion from T4 to T3. So this is an, another important part of the game for you if you've had thyroid issues is finding out if you have this genetic issue, right? This genetic mutation, because it's just going to make things harder, even when you do everything right. And that's what I was feeling like. I was like, I do all the things to make it happen. Why isn't it working? Well, this gene and it's um, the D, it's D101 um, or D102, um, that can, especially the D102, which is the mutation I have on that particular gene, really impacts that conversion and can really lower that conversion rate. So very important information for me to know. Um, and, and what does that mean for me? So I did get on thyroid medication. I'd been using thyroid glandular um, and it had been working decently well for a while, but then obviously with these test results, it wasn't working enough. So I did decide to go on medication and this is, in a, uh, I think it's really important to speak to this because I'm not anti-meds, um, just because of being in the functional world. I think it's very important, particularly when we're talking about replacing actual hormones, right? Like you need hormones in order to function properly. And if you don't have enough of those hormones, you are not going to function properly. So um, I was very much game to try thyroid medication. I have tried it once in the past. Um, and I just actually met with the doctor again because I was using um, Armour thyroid medication, which is the natural um, desiccated thyroid hormone. 
and it wasn't doing enough. And um, so we decided it was time for me to go on an additional T3, just T3 thyroid med on top of it. And so I'm excited to see how that goes because especially with this understanding of having this genetic component, um, I need that T3 most likely, you know, we'll see, fingers crossed. Um, but that is a really important piece of the puzzle. I hope that, you know, I know this is a lot to understand with the thyroid and it's very complex, but hopefully that makes sense. And if you have questions about that, shoot me an email. Um, I'm happy, you know, to talk about it further on uh, newer episodes of Hormonally Speaking and dive more in depth with that. Um, I just want to point out, I did on this test run my magnesium RBC, um, and that is more exact than just the regular magnesium um, because I did want to see as a cofactor for my thyroid that that was doing okay. Um, I also ran, let's see, magnesium, uh, excuse me, no, I just said magnesium, um, RBC, let's see, I had another RBC, oh, zinc RBC, because again, zinc is very important for thyroid function. And both of those were doing really well. So that wasn't the issue. Um, okay, so we've done a lot already. I just want to point out a couple of other um, markers that I think are really important that a lot of doctors will not necessarily put on a lab unless you ask for it. So one of those is um, C-reactive protein cardiac. And this is otherwise known as HSCRP or high sensitivity CRP. So CRP or C-reactive protein is um, a marker for inflammation in the body, right? So C-reactive protein is often part of labs and it can give you a good indication of just sort of general inflammation. Like we don't know specifically what inflammation it's pointing to. If it's high, we just know that there's an you know, inflammatory response happening if it's high. C-reactive protein cardiac or HSCRP is specifically talking about the heart. And so this is super important and almost more important, in my opinion, than cholesterol in terms of noting a possible cardiac event in your future, right? It's something that we really want to pay attention to if it's high. And um, I've seen plenty of people that have normal cholesterol and they end up having high, um, high, high sensitivity CRP. And this is a big flashing warning sign. So I will say that I've had clients that ask their doctor to run this and either they don't know about it or you have to have a cardiologist run it, but it doesn't hurt to ask, you know, and but you have to say specifically cardiac or high sensitivity CRP because otherwise they'll just run regular CRP. And I've seen that happen with clients too. Um, vitamin D is always a good one to see where things are at, you know, from a functional standpoint, the numbers have changed in terms of what they say are, uh, optimal levels. It used to be much higher. Now it's more, um, you know, around that 30 to 50 range. Um, but if you have autoimmune disorders, I still think it's better to, um, have a little bit higher. Um, let's see what else they usually don't run, but I think it's really important. Homocysteine is a great marker for seeing how your B12 folate levels are doing, um, better to me than actually B12 or folate. <laughs> Not that you can't run those. Um, those can, you know, be helpful too, but homocysteine is going to tell you a better, um, 
indication around your need for B12, methylated B12 in particular, and methylated um, folate um, in particular. So that's another good, easy one. Um, iron labs, I like to see a full iron lab with my clients. So we're not just looking at iron, um, we're looking at uh, TIBC, we're looking at UIBC, we're looking at iron saturation, we're also looking at hemoglobin, um, hematocrit, ferritin. So ferritin is your stored iron. So that's really important to check out too. So getting a full iron panel, particularly if you're a woman who bleeds a lot during her period, um, the, those numbers can go really down. Um, so check those out, um, make sure that that is doing well. Um, okay. So those are, you know, I could go on and on and on about this, but we, we won't today. Um, if you are interested in me going into some of the other aspects of this, um, this lab, this comprehensive lab, I'm happy to do that. Just send me a note and I can do it on a future episode. You know, we can talk sort of immune system markers, which are shown here. Um, and we can talk about maybe what cholesterol, um, you know, really should look like compared to maybe what some of the doctors are saying. Um, and, um, yeah, certainly, you know, can, can cover sort of whatever you're interested in. So, um, I thank you so much for being here with me today. Hopefully you got some really good information um, around your labs and the sort of really important places to focus on. Really everything I talked about today is super important when it comes to your hormone health, right? Your sex hormones. So blood sugar regulation, how your thyroid is doing, how that iron panel is doing, you know, looking at vitamin D, homocysteine, all of those are um, just so key. Thanks for being here this week. And we'll be back next week with a guest and I will see you then.